Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to episode 126. Tonight's show is brought to you by Wrong Jake. Because <laughs> last week we said that Superfan Jake had an amazing idea, and uh, Jake sent me the oddest text message. He's like, I don't remember sending this to you. <laughs> and we realized that it was the wrong Jake. Well, uh, to be to be fair, the person who emailed us just said Jake, and the email address that they provided was fake at gmail.com, which seems like something that Jake might do. That's just, something who someone who's technically savvy like Jake might do that just to keep his email address from being more places on the internet. So that's we just assume if you just email us as Jake, we assume that you're that Jake. I like how we turn the entire show on its head because of a stranger a person Jake. that we don't even know. I know. Well, it seemed like such he, he it was a very well thought out and kind email. So it felt very uh I don't know, just honest and you know, he's like if you want me to fuck off, I will. And it's like, no, you don't have to fuck off. That's that's good advice. So, uh Going along with Stranger Jake's advice, we'll stick to the same pattern of content tonight. Is that, so, is that so, cool with you guys? So first is new shit we probably hate. Yeah. I want to start with this feel-good story, unless you want to use that as like a palate cleanser between... I'd, I'll be quite honest with you right here. I skimmed this, and I do not care. I do. Let's yeah, I don't really need to feel any better. I feel pretty good, Let's, but we can still do it. <laughs> we should end there because I don't want to feel good yet. And that's, You want to feel angry first. That's definitely not going to make me feel good because I just don't care. Okay. Okay. Well, let's start with the most angry bit of uh, new shit. The Qvist factory tour. That's the letter Q-V-I-S-T uh, was taken by the people at Bike Rumor and they have a lot of photos, and they do their best to explain some very complicated machining processes uh, because Cubist has made a, what they call a unique double ratchet hub. And basically they have something that looks somewhat similar to a DT Swiss star ratchet, but if you can imagine the ratchets being on both sides of the star rather than just on the, a single face of the star. Take everything so, that DT Swiss did, which was super simple, and indestructible, and make it all ultra complicated and finicky as hell. I've got a couple thoughts. One is, I can't trust them. So on one hand, they're German, which is usually a pretty good sign. But in one of their pictures, they've got a pretty clean looking shop. And they've got a bunch of zip ties on some electrical wires with some other stuff going on. And one of them still has all the tails on it. So I can't, I can't trust what's happening anymore. I'm trying to find this photo you're talking about. It's pretty much the last photo. Oh, yeah, I see that. <laughs> that guy was not given dykes. <laughs> well, the other guy was. No, he didn't have the a... other machine. You know what? He didn't have a ladder when he put those on because... Oh, no, no, it's just the color of the wall. I thought maybe the lower ones were cut, but the upper ones weren't. Yeah. So, anyway, now I'm instantly going to be much more critical of what's going on. So, do you... Do you guys want to continue with your thoughts? I have a few. So my thought is this. Basically, they had to... This hub is around... Gosh, I scrolled away from the... 290 grams. 290 grams. Claimed. Three degrees of engagement. So they basically made... And, and I, 
like kudos to these people as engineers. Like they have done some fantastically complicated engineering here in order to make an Industry 9 torch, like I guess parallel to torch, like at that level hub. For $100 less, you can get an Industry 9 Hydra hub that is basically the same weight as this one with a half a degree of engagement. So, And in three years, you can definitely buy Industry 9 parts. Right, yeah, yeah. That's so. My biggest problem is the drive ring in the hub is aluminum. Yeah, that's, it's pretty, it's, I mean, this is like, this This kind of reminds me of like a, I don't know, like a, a college or like a doctor level engineering project of like, make this thing totally different than anything else that's out there, but make it function like other things that are out there. But the insides of it have to be totally different. You're going to have to like design your own machining processes in order to make it do that. That's like what it was. It was like something that it shouldn't even be like real in production, but now it is. And uh, I don't know. You like never I stopped <laughs> to ask if you can, but rather if you should. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the Jurassic Park thing. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah, I mean, this seems like it seems like just a. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just. Well, Kenny, I can feel Kenny's hate. Yeah, Kenny, you just you just go. Maybe you can describe my feelings better than I can. No, I I really don't have a lot of hate because, again, this is a huge thing. Anybody trying to move the cycling industry forward and do something new and cool that's not just completely ridiculous. There's a lot of completely ridiculous things that we truly don't need, and trying to make a better derailleur or a better hub or whatever that's commendable. So. Let's start there. I've got a couple thoughts. Andrea mentioned one of them. Seems pretty scary that the Freehub body, like some of the things that this steel, pretty complicated, I assume very hard, like physically hard piece of steel, like tool steel, that is the drive, no, I don't know what you call it, the ratchet ring. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Drive I'm sure it's got other names. But anyway, the thing that is the analog to the DT Swiss ratchet ring, those two little removable guys, it is... Yeah, it's mating up against... I guess I'm a little confused. Okay, so that piece stays in the hub shell. It's like keyed, essentially. This is, this is like if a Chris the King... Hub shell. It's like if a Chris King hub and a DT yeah. Swiss hub had a baby. No, that's really uh, that's a really good analogy, I think. Because looking at just the free hub body looks almost exactly like a Chris King. So... There's just some weirdness going on here. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about longevity of this because there are some aluminum parts for like drive mechanisms. I think that might be a bad plan, but who knows? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe stuff is steel and I don't know. But anyway, so commendable no, I mean, that they're a, doing it. There's a video of them machine or a picture where they've machined that into the hub show. Mm. So yeah, fascinating system. We'll see how it works. Maybe it's really cool. So I'll try one, but it's really another takeaway from this. And this is not trying to like bum people out or say, don't ever do anything and we'll never move forward and no one will ever make anything better. But it turns out that it's actually really difficult to make a lot of things on a bike. Think about it. Like who, who makes decent suspension? Not a whole lot of people and some baller people have come in and tried like the Olins of the world came in and we're like, oh yeah, it's easy. We'll do that. And their first two iterations blew actual ass. Like, they were horrible. And it turns out that making hubs 
is really difficult. Making rear derailers is really difficult. There's kind of a reason only a few people do it because you would think it would be really simple, but balancing having a producible product, something that is cheap, reliable, and actually functions, it's very difficult. Anyway, so I think it's cool. Uh, I'd be interested to see one in real life if they hit the weight claims and they have longevity and all that kind of stuff. Pretty cool. It'll probably sound a little bit different maybe from other stuff. So that could be yeah, pretty neat. I'd really like to hear one. And I, these days, I'm just not all about super high engagement hubs. I just don't think they're ultra necessary. I think they can definitely be cool. So I guess I just... I know. I feel like they're 100% necessary. <laughs> I know. It's very... <laughs> it's a very polarizing thing. <laughs> I just don't really care anymore. I've got my 36 tooth DT stuff and it works good. I can like, you know, go up and down hills and stuff. Yeah, it's because you got a motor. Yep, exactly. All right. So what is the next thing on the docket? Things we love or hate? I've got I've got one. Go. This is just news in general about the racing scene and all the crazy stuff that's happening. There's a gigantic article, probably multiples, but Pink Bike has one. And it's just going through the laundry list of people, racing programs shutting down, people leaving teams, obviously people moving around. So it's not like they're going away. It just, it gets me a little freaked out about 2024 for racing. I don't know how much cross country is going to be affected. It seems like DH is in more turmoil and enduro and some other disciplines. That's just the vibe that I get. I also get the vibe that maybe some people in the DH crowd are maybe not super pumped. And maybe I'm wrong on that. I haven't watched a whole lot of stuff. I just get that vibe that maybe we'll call it 25 to 50% of the field is not pumped with how things are being promoted, how courses are being laid out, how safety is done, how practice works, all the things that go into racing DH. I just feel like some people are a little not pumped with where everything is going and how athletes are represented and all the things. So I think we're going to see more shakeups in DH. What are your thoughts? Potato rotating in microwave. <laughs> I, I mean, DH has been, I don't know how to put it. it I, I think it has a crowd size of X that's fairly small and only fluctuates by X amount or Y amount think... every year. Hold on. Yeah, And I wonder if what's happening is we've seen a trend where some people are leaving. And when I say it trends, why amount? Like year over year, we've been like very slowly starting that circling of the drain. You know those those upside down funnel games at the mall where you put a quarter in and at first it's going really slow and it like rolls and rolls and rolls and then it goes around the tight little part and falls in the box of money that goes to the Shriners or the kids with leukemia fingers or whatever. <laughs> I wonder if it's if we're in that stage where we're just slowly starting to circle the drain, but we haven't totally death spun yet. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Uh, I know DH doesn't have a huge reach. I, I just, I'm bummed because I started watching DH in the past six, seven years, maybe eight. And I think Red Bull just in general did such a good job of covering it, having you care about, you know, the people. And it was just really good coverage. And it was also free, which is really cool. And I watched it for many, many seasons and it was pretty entertaining. And I think we saw some pretty cool stories about people winning and all that from Rachel Atherton to everybody else that's that's come along. 
And I think the women's side especially has gotten super, super good over the past three or four years as people just get faster and it's just way better racing. Anyway, I'm just worried that stuff's going to go away. We had the GCN thing that happened for a second and then GCN is like no more. I don't even know who the producer, I guess you call it, what platform this is going to be on next year. I have no freaking idea anymore. And I'm just kind of bummed out in general. And then seeing all this other news about people shutting down teams. And so forget the coverage for just a second. The actual teams, and of course this might be interrelated, but a lot of teams are just fully pulling out. They're just out. Intense, I think, is one. There, there's a bunch of them. Well, so, I mean, is it a fact? Is it just maybe that companies are realizing that they can do cheaper means of marketing other than sponsoring a race team? I think that might be true, and this leads into other stuff. Hold on, which is yeah. I want to throw an interjection before we tangent off too far. What if now that Red Bull isn't presenting their advertising to tons of people for free, I wonder if teams are saying, well, our audience reach isn't what it used to be, so this isn't a good ROI. It's all well, Red exactly. Bull's fault. Everything, everything not, is super interrelated. It's, it's not Red Bull's fault at all. Red Bull is the one that built it. It's that it got passed on. I don't know what the politics are exactly for. I think it was just a contract and it was up. I don't know exactly how all that went down. I should probably educate myself on that. So in my eyes, Red Bull did a very good thing. I think they got a lot of people excited about watching XCDH. Um, those are the two for me. I don't know what other ones they cover. They might have done some slope style stuff. So this leads into what do you think about just racing in general? It seems like from road racing to enduro, DH, XC seems to be pretty healthy, I think. It just seems like... There's not a huge return, obviously, and people aren't getting paid big to race either. So if the return isn't there for these teams and they can't really pay racers, where do you see this going? Do you think bike racing at a professional level, at the highest level, whatever it is, do you think that's going to become way less mainstream than it is today, even though it's not very mainstream? Do you think it's going to go away completely? What do you think? I don't I don't know. That's, I mean, I think that's a possibility for sure. Like, it's more of a possibility now than it ever has been. You know, I'd say with, you know, team shuttering and with money coming out of that, Matt just went to the bathroom to pull a nose hair. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it is pretty obvious that people, the influencer folks. Right. So, in the dirt bike world. Axel Hodges would be an example. He was a racer. He was mildly successful. And I think he realized that it was more fun for him and he could make way more money basically doing his own stuff, his own kind of free ride, whatever, make little films, do cool stuff, go to events. And you don't have that intense pressure of racing and having results time after time. And I feel like a lot more, uh, a lot more athletes are having that feeling where they don't have to do the traditional, you have to race, you have to have results, and that's how you're successful. Uh, successful. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. maybe this is also rolled into this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think you're right. Like, that's, if you're a, a big brand of some sort and you look at how many eyeballs are on this person every time they do a cross-country race and, and win... How many eyeballs are on this YouTube video of this guy doing just really cool shit that's not competitive? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's that's where you put your money, and it's probably less money, you know? 
I think you're probably correct. That's how I feel in general about moto and bicycles in my personal life is I don't really have a desire to race either of them, but they're fun and I just want to go out and enjoy myself. And I don't need, there's nothing wrong with racing, but I just feel like I've grown out of the need to race. Racing kind of brought you meaning and it was structure and it was something to work towards, but I just don't feel like I need that. At least I think where I am now physically makes a huge difference because of all the access I have to all this cool, fun stuff. When the trails and the venues are a lot more boring, I think that (laughs) racing makes more sense for real. Racing brings meaning to boring stuff. That's true. That's true. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I feel like personally, like I can't, I just have like these long-term chronic injuries with my back Mm -hmm. and my neck that I, I just can't do it anymore. Like I can't train that much. I can, you know, I can ride like two, maybe three hours at a time. If I ride more than a couple days a week, like my right arm falls asleep every time I lay down, you know, I, I just can't, I can't physically do it anymore. So I, I've, and when I started to really figure that out, you know, first with my back and then with my neck, it's like, <laughs> shut up, Matt. <laughs> what else was in there? <laughs> <laughs> my neck and my back. Yeah. What else? Uh, When I first started figuring those things out. (laughs) I'm a child. Oh, God. Uh, It was was rough. It was really rough because it was all the things that you said. Like, it was kind of like purpose and meaning and everything. But it was like my outlet for... What is my purpose? You race the bicycles. (laughs) I don't know. It was just an outlet to go out and challenge myself and I just kind of lost that and I can see what people who were in the same situation not from injury but maybe from like loss of sponsorship or whatever it may be uh you know that it's it's a really hard thing to go through like it's it's incredibly it's a a very big mental challenge yeah I think there's also obviously immense pressure at the highest level to perform. And I've definitely seen a lot of people crack under that pressure. It seems like maybe not the most healthy thing. So I don't know. I just feel like I'm just not as drawn to racing, both doing it and watching it. I just feel like it's maybe it's falling out of favor, but maybe it's completely my viewpoint. So I kind of want to see maybe the audience can chime in on the next show and, and you can tell us what you think about the state of racing where you think it's going, what are the problems? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough as an athlete, like even at the, I mean, I was never at like that kind of, you know, watch me on Red Bull TV level, but even at the level I was at, you know, it's it's difficult to not put a lot of expectations on yourself. And I think that part of it, where you're putting a lot of uh, just a burden on yourself I think that part is what really starts to burn people out just in conjunction with it just being really fucking hard. You know, there's some days where you're like, I don't, I don't want to get on the bike. I don't want to do this. I want to like lay around and fucking eat Twinkies and watch YouTube and you can't do it because it's, you know, it was never my job to do that. But like, if you want to be good, if you want to be, you know, as good as you can be, you got to get out there. And I think that, you know, that along with just, 
you know, having really high expectations of your performance and feeling any kind of pressure, like those things will definitely crack some people. Unfortunately, I just cracked physically before I cracked mentally. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think that I agree with Kenny a lot where when I lived in Memphis and, you know, the trails weren't scenic and they were very limited in mileage per county, let's call it, or mileage per miles of trail per 10 square miles of city or, or of space, whatever you want to look at it as. Um, but limited trails, not very interesting trails. It, it makes the racing important. It makes the racing where if you do one of the first mountain bike races I did was a two hour and 50 minute race on a three mile trail. It was an endurance race on a three mile trail system. And you would never ride that long there for pleasure, but you did it because it was a race. And I don't see as much racing out west except for the races that are huge. And it's like, oh, shit, I can't get into that one. And if I do, it's a zoo. It's just sort of, uh, I don't want to say a different vibe out here, but... I mean, Vapor Trail you can get into. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, let me just hop into Vapor Trail on a fucking whim. Like, I think that's the other part of it is... Just not, like Brent Van Epps. Not to the same extreme smartassery that Andrea has here, but you can just go do a six-hour race in Memphis. I mean, y you might die a little bit, but you could do it. Here, if you try to do like a six-hour race, a mythical one that doesn't exist, like it, it, you wouldn't be able to just go do it. You know that the, the terrain is just so much more difficult. So, what was that one I did at Bear Creek Park in Denver? That was a six-hour race, wasn't it? No, it was a lap race. I thought. Yeah, it was like a XC, like a long XC race, though. No, oh. but you know, it's 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 just harder terrain and. Andrea doesn't believe my thing. I just have to, I just want to know what it was. It was like five laps for pros or something like that. Okay. Instead of like two laps for sport, whatever. But again, Bear Creek's probably one of the easiest places to ride in the Denver metro area. Oh yeah, definitely. So I don't know. I just, I don't think that racing's going away. And I don't know if I missed this because I was having an attack of a nose hair that wanted me to sneeze uncontrollably <laughs> while trying to record a podcast, which is not good eats. Uh, but, you know, if you look at how much does it cost to put someone on a bike to get a collective, you don't see much of a downhill race. You know, someone might be on insert broadcaster here 15 minutes the entire season versus slinging some douchebag influencer with a mustache and a nice camera, a mountain bike or two, and then you have, you know, six hours of content that people are going to watch while they're supposed to be working. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's accurate. I think there's a lot of factors going into it. Post-pandemic stuff for a lot of smaller brands that are feeling the crunch and influencers having more power with advertising, switching hands from Red Bull as far as the promoter side of things pretty interesting i don't know we'll have to see what happens uh what other news or new stuff do we have i th that's that's all i've got was that a lap race i didn't i was answering kenny before i went back to it uh ratio who we hate on them for some stuff but they have made alloy cable spools for your old SRAM shifters so i think that's road shifters yeah yeah for road shifters so you know if you have a worn out road shifter you can now unwear it out 
which I, I like. I like repairing stuff. I don't like everything that Ratio does. I don't like a lot of stuff that they do, but I do like this. And you can now get Chris King Micro Spline Free Hubs for your road bike, just in case anyone. It would help you. You can run a mountain cassette with some of the GRX stuff. Well, there you have it. Yep, that's the new stuff. Um, what was that race? Hold on, let me look. That's Breckenridge. Mm. I don't know. I just have a picture of it on my blog, and I don't have any anything about what what it actually is. All right. It was a Rocky Mountain Endurance Series at Bear Creek State Park. I don't think they do it anymore. I don't know. Maybe they do. Uh, yeah. You. We just need to move on. Yeah, we can just move on. It's not that important. Anything? Listener questions? That's your. Oh role. no, we have this this story that I want to just. Do we not have any listener questions. We don't have any form entries on Slack. We had a oh um, from Phil. He wants to. He was looking at the video I made about the SRAM transmission shop clinic, and during the installation of transmission, Troy sets everything up, and then he spins the shit out of the cranks. He spins them backwards, and the chain doesn't fall off the big cog. And he says, if I did that on my bike, it would turn into a bomb and explode into chain and cassette fragments. <laughs> the chain length looks good. Limit screws seem to be set right. Correct tension on the cable and B-gap seems good when I use the white tool. Is this just me being a hack problem? Um, so this is talking about transmission versus Eagle, I th- correct? I think so. Correct. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that on Eagle. So you're not doing anything wrong. That you just can't do that on Eagle. Sometimes you can, but most of the time you can't. I forgot there was a, gosh, there was a. They even have narrow wide cogs on the top two. Your two biggest cogs in the back on Eagle are narrow wide. You might not realize it. And that's why they don't. Sometimes in the stand without pressure on it, it'll index wrong and it'll ride on top of the teeth. It's because they're narrow wide. And they do that because people were bitching and moaning about backpedaling in your easiest gear and chain falling off. But it's still. In my experience, it didn't really fix the issue. So you're not alone. It's not weird. Don't worry about it. But transmission, on the other hand, I haven't really tried that a whole bunch. Maybe it's fixed on that. Don't know the answer to that. All right, Dan. I was just, oh, I can only write like just a quick Google. Oh, here we go. Your derailleur manual. I wanted to see the printed text and not watch a video. I mean, usually I think it's attributed to a B-gap problem. But yeah, I mean, it's... It's one of those things that you don't really, I, I feel like you don't, it's not really applicable to a riding situation because you can spin, you might spin your crank backwards like a half pedal stroke to get your foot in the right place to like cross a creek or something or go through a technical section. But really at no place in your riding are you going to, it's like standover height. Like it's just not something you do when you're riding in a normal situation. You don't just spin your cranks five times backwards. So, And you'd also probably never do it in your easier gears maybe in your harder gears if you're screaming downhill and you're like i don't know you like sit down for a second and you're going to reposition or i i don't really know yeah i just don't ever find myself doing it in the easiest gears but i would say a solid 50 percent of bikes i put in the stand if you backpedal it with eagle standard eagle not transmission stuff it will fall off on the top two gears and i think not not weird. I think chainstay length probably plays a lot into that, which isn't something you can yeah. adjust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think hugely chainstay length and also what chain line you're running matters because not only are there different acceptable chain lines for regular Eagle from uh, Boost, which is going to be 52-ish, 
all the way out through 55 are considered okay for that. And of course, as you go outwards towards a 55, for example, if you have a Scott or some other brands that adopted that, and you have, again, old school analog Eagle, then yeah, it's probably going to be more likely to fall off. All right. Well, that was kind of our only listener thing. It's a light news week and a light listener question week. Do you want me to, can I do the story now? Let me lay my head down on the counter first. I was just going to breeze through it. So basically, someone posted, uh, I found this on Reddit, one of our patrons sent it to us in Slack, and I had actually seen a post on like one of the front range lost and stolen bike groups also, like this was copied and pasted on there. Uh, Someone found a 2022 Giant Trance 2 full suspension mountain bike attached to a Thule XT Pro Rack on Highway 76, Interstate 76. So, and there's a picture of it. It's just sitting on the side of the road. Bike is upright on this rack. No vehicle. So it's just a rack with a bike on it sitting on the side of the road. Uh, This person tried to take it to the Fort Morgan Police Department. And they had, they says, they had me waiting 45 minutes. And I, I had places I needed to be. So he took the bike with him to Grand Junction. Uh, the bike was mostly undamaged. The chain was missing. The rack was in kind of bad shape. But uh, he needed to find, he wanted to find out. He pretty much went above and beyond to figure out who owned this bike. So pretty much the owner found out that the owner had been driving in an RV, hauling a Jeep, the rack was attached to the Jeep, and the rack fell off the Jeep. They didn't know. So uh, through lots of coincidences, he basically was able to return the bike and rack to the guy because the guy was at an RV park, like, really close to his house. So that was cool. Faith in humanity restored. Someone, you know, just took a lot of effort to get this bike back to their to its owner. So I think that's really neat. Doesn't happen very often. Yep, I agree. That's super cool. But that's just the, uh, I probably could have read all of this and it would have made more sense than my little flyover, but Matt looks really bored. Because I knew this was going to happen. You were going to try to summarize it. And And summarize it it poorly. Making it more confusing (laughs) and take longer. (laughs) It's like when you don't read the instructions. It doesn't work as good, and it takes more time. All right. Well, do we want to get into our uh, our personal stuff? Are we going to make it weird? Let's make it weird. Uh, sure. Let's get Kenny to go first. Kenny never goes first. I'm uh, sure. No cycling updates. It's been getting progressively colder here. I think starting tonight slash tomorrow, it's basically going to snow one to three inches every day for at least two weeks. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, I don't know what I'll do next weekend if I'm going to try to go down south. I think maybe the weather's a little iffy down there as well. Possibly not as like snowy and rainy, but I think it's going to be pretty cold. So I may just hang out. Ooh, I know. I might get my fat bike out. I always say I only own one bicycle, but I actually also own a fat bike. So I should probably get the fat bike out if it snows. Other than that, we know I did a solo moto ride over the weekend. Pretty uneventful. 
other than the place that I rode. It was on January 1st, New Year's Day, and everybody was out shooting. It's definitely a popular shooting area, so like I knew that. There's like more designated areas, and you can kind of shoot wherever you want because it's Utah and everyone's a redneck. But there are some really irresponsible people out there. It's kind of a bummer. People that just like leave trash. Someone will bring like an old big screen TV, for example, and like go shoot the crap out of it and then just leave the carcass there. It's pretty, that's pretty irresponsible, obviously. Uh, But more alarmingly is the actual use of firearms. There were multiple times where I was up on like the ridge of a mountain. I say a mountain, a hill. And there are people shooting like below me. And it's pretty, that's pretty jacked up. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. So yeah, kind of shame on, shame on some dumbass Utah people for thinking you can do whatever you want. I had a similar situation when I was hunting a couple of weeks ago, but it wasn't, this person wasn't trying, they weren't, they were ignorant of the fact that someone could just be wandering around in a tr- totally trailless area close to where they were shooting. Uh, but I was up on a ridge and I know the area and I know that if you drove way down this road that would be difficult to drive down because there was snow and you stopped at this little place that in the summertime would be a nice campground, it's a pretty good area to shoot. I mean, if I was camping there and I had a gun, I'd probably set something up in like plink cans or something with a twenty-two. I'd pop off a few rounds. Yeah, I mean, they probably weren't... It was, it was me being in a place where you would really not expect to be to like see a human and I heard a few gunshots and I just yelled out of the woods I was like yo don't shoot this way (laughs) and they stopped and yeah I was like I I just yelled I was like give me five minutes I just yelled that at the top of my lungs and I actually I didn't hear them shoot anymore I think it probably scared the shit out of them that they had been shooting towards someone I don't I didn't see them because I was back in the woods always but like and I didn't, like, hear bullets whizzing by me or anything. But, yeah, like, they definitely, just based on how the road comes into that area and leaves that area, they were probably shooting in my general direction. <laughs> so, uh Yeah, in Utah, we have so many good backdrops where you can, I mean, you're shooting down into a hole, essentially. Like, you're just never, you're never going to have a problem in so many places, but people are just too lazy to go drive more than five feet off the road essentially sometimes yeah yeah. and that's really annoying and then people leave in trash so anyway uh, don't be a dumbass when you have a gun it's pretty simple and like i'm not this is not some anti-gun thing or whatever i have plenty of guns and i've shot uh i've shot plenty of shit in my life you just not gotta not be a dumbass like there's just some level of responsibility with shooting a gun even if you're out in the middle of I say the middle of nowhere. This really isn't the middle of nowhere. It's definitely, you can shoot wherever you want, but just because you can shoot wherever you want doesn't mean you just shoot wherever. <laughs> like you have to fucking pay attention to things yeah. like backdrops. There's so many good backdrops to choose. Maybe don't shoot over a trail and maybe don't shoot um, people, you know, where people ride on ridge motorcycle trails. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need to know anyway. know what's behind you. And actually, I like there's a YouTube channel that we've watched this this one. Well, we haven't watched his other videos, but there's a guy named. It, it, I don't think that you want to promote him. I just want to promote his Darwin Award videos, even if I don't like the guy on principle. Otherwise, Brandon Herrera, I think is his name. Yep, he has the Darwin Awards that he puts together, and it's 
basically all of the ways that you can fuck up with a firearm. Um, and you can learn a lot. Of, like, you can watch that and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I see how you shouldn't do that now. Like, I, you get to learn from other people's mistakes, which I think is a very valuable thing. So if you are firearm curious, I would, I would uh, say go look at the Darwin Awards. I haven't watched the rest of the guy's stuff. I think it's probably a little, uh, the rest of it's probably a little over the top for my taste, but the Darwin Awards, really good. But that's it for me. All right. Matt? A very eventful and uneventful week over here for me. Uh, let's see. Tons of work on the shed. Andrea helped me with that. We have everything but a door now, and it's all because I ran out of material or didn't have hinges. And I didn't have hinges because when I went where I should have gotten hinges, suddenly that was a low priority, and I didn't go to Home Depot, so I didn't buy hinges. That was the snowstorm night, wasn't it? No, that was oh. the... I went to Troy's, and his truck wasn't making any oil pressure, and uh, we were like DEFCON 5 trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And uh turns out it just had a bad oil pressure unit, like sensor, so that'll do it. You've been building this shed for a minute. Yeah, it's because it has to happen like on the weekends and on holidays. Yeah, because it's dark the moment that I clock out of work, and then ah, uh, that makes more sense. You know, I was gonna ask like how big this is or how many stories it is. It's ten by twenty, ten feet tall on the tall side, eight feet tall on the low side, single slanting roof, one door, one window, one door, one window, and all the sidings up, and the or. You just have to do some trim work 95% now and paint of the it. siding's up, needs trim work and paint, a door hung, and then we're good. And the, the, I mean, here's the thing. Like, some of the stuff was stored, like, in a carport already. So it wasn't like, ah, we're done for the day. It's like, well, I don't have door hinges, so let's go ahead and do this. So already built a shelf in the shed, loaded a ton of stuff in there, hung all the bikes, hung up bows, hung up some spare bike parts, emptied the old bike shed in that process, Sorted through all the, Andrea sorted through all the ammo. Ammo's organized in some really nice toolboxes now. The bike parts have been gone through and. We should just make a garage sale page on the JRA website. What I was about to say is we're going to have a super online yard sale for sure. <laughs> uh, it's literally on my notes. Look, super online yard sale. Oh, good. Um, so you got, you got power in that thing? No. No, I was going to ask if you had like 240 in there. No, no, definitely not. Uh, not insulated. No need for it to be insulated because twenty the from the doorway of the insulated with a wood-burning stove workshop to the storage shed, the edges of the door frames probably aren't 28 feet apart. So instead of insulating and heating a whole nother fucking building, you could just walk over there and grab the storage bin you want and bring it over into the heated workshop and... Do whatever you need to do. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, so, if you have a Turbo Creo and you want wheels for it, and you know that bike's weird because it's boost road, I've got some DT Swiss carbon road wheels for you. All right. And cool. That's really weird. It's really weird. Um, we got lots of weird stuff. Lots of weird stuff. You need some post mount AXS red shifters. Got them with calipers, of course, because I named out the brakes. Those come off a of, or came off of Andrea's Vertex. You need a Sid 100 with slight bushy knock. I got one for you. That was on my Spark for a bit. Uh, what else do I have? I got a Fox 36 and 150. Don't know why. 
I didn't ever sell that. I got a Crockett frame. I got a set of rollers. What else do I have? I've got a Tanu cover for a Gen 2 Frontier. I've got an RV battery tender that's really nice. I'm trying to think of any other kook big stuff that I have. That winch? Nah, you can't ship that winch. It's too big. <laughs> like, you would, no one would pay shipping for that winch. Uh, yeah, so things are, things are wild in the sense. Oh, and the other morning I got up. 20 minutes in and out quick adventure <laughs> and turns out that at some point to, to make a long story short everyone's going to get upset just calm your titties there are kits where your dryer vents indoors there's a lint trap in your dryer and then you hook your hose up to another lint trapping device and the lint trapping device makes it where your house doesn't fill up with lint but the warm air stays in your house it's awesome for cold climates like ours where you would want to run a humidifier and you want heat well cool when you run your dryer it does both of those things and in the summertime you just dry your clothes outside and i have a plan for the future to properly vent it outdoors but still have one of these set up so like seasonally you could swap it and cap the well yeah just like yeah just have two just have two pipes and you swap it or make like a flapper yep it would be it's not it it's just low priority you know um but the little dust collector that goes on the end of the hose broke and I needed to change that. And Andrea's like, you should change this. You should change this. And I'm not going to say she was nagging me. It was a high priority to me and less of a priority to him. It was a very high priority for Andrea, very low priority for me. Monday was a holiday, so I didn't work. Tuesday, I got up and I was like, yeah. And to do this, I have to move my washer to get behind my dryer, my washer and dryer in like a really small closet. And it's that's one of the reasons I didn't want to do it. So... Move the washer, boom. Water. Washer's been leaking, and the carpet, the there used to be carpet in that room, and when they, they took the carpet out, they just pushed the washer dryer back, cut it off, pulled them back forward to where they belong. It's never really bothered me because you'd have to move the washer dryer to take them out. Well, here it is, like 7.45. I'm like, yeah, I'll get this knocked out before I start work at 8.30. And then the old carpet's all soggy, and there's mold on the floorboards underneath it, and... I'm just like ripping shit out. And then uh, after work, yes, that was yesterday before work. And then I'm like, well, fuck, I have to go to work. So everything's just left in total disaster. And then after work, I spent a ton of time. I took my washer apart, uh, slightly apart, and I cleaned a bunch of stuff out of it. And uh, turns out you have to clean all that stuff occasionally. Being a homeowner is awesome. And it didn't leak when we ran it this morning. So... Yeah. And the new dryer vent works great. Yep. Adventures. and But we still, like, probably this weekend, we're going to have to pull it back out and take the floor out and replace it because it's yep. got mold on it. You got uh, electric dryer or yep. propane? Electric. Ooh. We could probably do a conversion on that and uh, could probably make it battery-powered DeWalt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can you can, you can dry your clothes in a, in a blackout. <laughs> That happens here occasionally. Turns out some of the oh. power lines run through places where uh, it's pretty rough. There's lots of trees and wind, high winds. Fucking windy. Yeah. Uh, your turn, Andrea. All right. Well, uh, Matt and I actually we rode on. Oh yeah, we rode bikes on New Year's Day. Yeah, like kind of middle of the day. Like we, it was really cold. It was in the teens when we got up, so we did a little bit of shed stuff and. Then I was like, hey, it's noon now. It's starting to warm up. We need to go ride bikes now 
instead of getting fully engrossed into organizing the shed. And that's what we did. We went and rode. Not real long, but it was nice. It was real nice. So we rode. I did a CrossFit class and haven't really been hunting because it's been, uh, has not been snowing here. That is about to change. That weather that Kenny's talking about is headed this way as well. So uh, I'll be getting out this week. Now my brain is totally blank about what else I wanted to talk about. I don't know. I don't, I'm not in your brain. Thank God. (laughs) Oh man. I hate it when this happens. I need to write this shit. I always say that. I need to write this shit down. And then just like all the shit you forgot about, you forget to write it down. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I'll write it down later. I'll remember that. (laughs) Oh God. We just need to hang up a big whiteboard. We need to get a really artsy looking chalkboard and just write <laughs> ideas on the chalkboard right here. We record during the week. Like and then, one of those stick up pieces of chalkboard? No, no. We'll 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 get a real piece of slate from Etsy. <laughs> <sighs> oh yeah. I was uh gonna turn this into an e bike episode. Uh Kenny, I picked up today from one you of our borrowed borrowed you didn't pick it up in the sense of you went and swiped your credit card no no i borrowed a demo bike from a bike shop in salida from subculture and they it's a turbo levo sl it's like the mm-hmm. bottom like entry level one with like nx this motherfucker is an e-bike made out of metal with nx on it it weighs everything <laughs> yeah yeah those those alloy base Levo SLs are not super duper light. And then Andrea put her studded tires on it. And With carbon like, wheels, though. It's probably lighter than the wheels that were on it. No, but then she's like, hey, let's keep this inside so it doesn't get too cold and won't charge. And she's like, yeah, just stick it back there by the trainer. So here I am in our tiny-ass house with this big, awkward-ass bike, and every part of it wants to murder me. It's got <laughs> spikes on the tires. It's got spikes on the pedals because it has flat pedals on it. The bars are as wide as your mama's ass. <laughs> it's just gnarly. And I'm just trying to wheel it through this house. You can't really roll it because there's fucking spikes trying to eat up my cheap-ass floor. Like, Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really icy here from when it did snow. And then people have driven on the snow and then it's melted, and people drove on it again, and then it refroze. So it's just a whole lot of just, I don't know, the gravel version of black ice. So I put studded tires on it because I want to try and get to a couple of hunting spots that I'm not really comfortable driving my truck to, uh, just because, well, one, I moved to a snowy area in 2015, and I have not driven in snow that much, and two... Uh, my truck is still relatively nice, so next season she's gonna be like, "Can I borrow your Land Rover to go <laughs> mountain lion hunting?" Probably. So it's got heated seats. So I don't want to, you know, if I did slide off into a ditch and like run the rear fender into a tree, I'd be kind of bummed out about it. You ain't bummed out about that windshield. No, I'm not bummed out about the windshield. I mean, I am, but it's so fucking expensive to replace. That's the thing. It's a pretty new truck. It's still pretty nice. I'm not quite ready to just be like, oh, fuck it. I can slide off into a, a rock or something and or a tree and, and just leave it. And plus, the fucking airbags might pop out. So <laughs> I don't want to ever deal with that. So there's some places that I haven't gone that I really want to go. But I don't necessarily want to drive my truck there. And I looked at nice snow chains 
for my truck and it would be like $500 to get a set of four of the like the Koenig ones or whatever Scott Banks recommended. So I I decided I'm going to try snow t- or studded tires on this e-bike and if it can go on Basically, not on just loose, fluffy snow. I know that a, any narrow, tired bike is not... Even a fat bike, like as Kenny has discovered, even a an e-fat bike uh, in loose, fluffy snow isn't going to be that great. So this is mostly roads that have been driven on, that might have melted and refrozen, that kind of stuff. Uh, I just want to be able to get to a few more places. And honestly, like I was thinking about just riding, putting the studded tires on my Mayhem. But the problem with that and hunting is everything to get to where I want to go is a climb. And I would just be, I'd have to take a full set of clothes to change out of to get the sweat off of me when I got to where I wanted to hunt. And stripping down when it's 20 degrees outside in the woods, I mean, I've done it before. You don't want to jam out with your your clam out when the Celsius is under zero. Exactly. Like, it's, it's not something that I want to deal with. So... That that's my my solution is to have a motor to try to get me there without as much sweat. So picked up this e-bike and I'm going to try it uh, the next week or so and just see if I like it. See what I'm kind of worried about the battery power on it, but with everything being uphill to where I want to go, uh, if I did run the battery low on the way there, I'm pretty much coasting on the way back. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Wild times. Yeah. Um, Kenny, what what do you think about the battery power on the SL bikes? On paper, it's less than a lot of the other SL brands. It's 320 watt hours on that. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a lot that are in like that 400 range. But again, don't get too freaked out with specs. It's uh, perfectly adequate for most people doing most things. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine yeah you figure out what you can get out of it and you can tweak the settings for how you want yeah and but very rarely did i have any issues with mine like i rode it around the neighborhood and i found that the second power setting was really good for most places when it was like a little bit like looser snow and stuff i bumped it up to the higher power setting and it kind of powered through that stuff better but it was also a little bit sketchy because it would start to go so fast that it was... I, well, you were suddenly outrunning front tire traction. Yeah, a little bit. Like, it kind of pushed a little. Yeah, you also just... The factory turbo setting is really silly. It gives you 100% of the power on tap, but it gives it to you at such little input power that it's yeah. very lurchy and disconnected feeling. Yep. So what all you need to do on that, it's real simple. Just go into the, go into the app, keep it at 100% max power, but instead of it giving you uh, full power, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember percentages that they have on there. But, but for argument's sake, instead of full power at 20% input, do it at yeah 50% input. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I don't exactly, have an app. and that'll make it it'll make it way more um, way more intuitive. That's what I do for all of the modes. I have 100% max power on each of them, and I do like 10 or 20% assistance on eco and i'll do 30 or 40 on the mid and i'll do maybe 50 on turbo all right and it's it's way better that way yeah kind of my initial impression was that on the eco mode if i wanted to go ride with someone who was really fucking fast i'd go and like 
say if I rode with whoever it is, if I pedaled on an analog bike, uh, if I pedaled as hard as I could, I would get dropped. On this one, in eco mode, I could pedal as hard as I could and not get dropped. But I'd still be just going like all the fucking way out. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So that's pretty cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. You know, if I could do what I want to do, uh, and this would carry over into like normal not snow season hunting as well. Uh, you know, if the SL would do what I want it to do, I'd probably want to go with one of those. But I don't know. It's the the battery life is really what what uh gets me. Yeah, reasonable reasonable assumption. I think power wise, even the first gen SL in my opinion, is fine for almost anything you'd ever do. It is the battery life that's going to be the issue. And then the new SL has even more power, but the same battery. So yeah, I think you'll be fine. They make range extenders if you really do like the SL, but you need that little bit more. Yeah, but that's uh, that's pretty much my week. Sheds, bikes, it's a good week. We got anything else we want to talk about? Nope, that's it. You gonna run through patrons real quick, and we had a couple of new ones. Hold on, let me pull that up. Actually, I'll pull it up at the end. All right, I'm just gonna start at ten dollars a month. We've got Zozo, Zach, Yabba Dabba Doo, Will, Tom, Todd, Ty, Tennessee, Zach, Paperboard Pro, Smells Like Sweat and Fear, Sam, Ryan, Red Rocket Tingles, Ramo. Parker, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dal, MTV Shenanigans, Lloyd Christmas, Leland, Kenny Sucks, Ken, Josh, Josh, Jeff, JC, Jake D, Hey Andrea, What's Your Favorite Cheese, Green Giant, Gordon, G-Man, Frank the Tank, F That Guy Mark, Ezra, Evan, Eric, Dan, Cam Irish One, Billy Single Speed, Bill, Bo, Barry McCockiner, Barrel of Dicks, Baggins, Alec, AJ, Aaron, Esker Cycles at 1169, Lead Out Sports, and Josh from Australia, at 14, Dean at 16.50 Australian. Then at $20 a month, we have Scott, Pooprinch, Joe, Brady, Anthony, Harley at 30, Troy at 31, and Six Pack Outdoors at 50. I think Andrea's favorite cheese would have to be either Brie or one of those flavored little goat cheese logs. See, we've gone through this before, and I can't pick a favorite overall cheese. I have to go by like category. Like, probably the one that I use the most would be, like, feta, because it kind of goes with everything. Like, it's yeah, good. Yeah, Coors is the beer I drink the most. That's not my favorite beer. <laughs> I like feta cheese because you can put it on a salad. You can put it in eggs. Uh, it's good on lots of stuff. Even in Italian food, if you don't have Parmesan, you can throw some feta in there. It's really good. So I feel like that one's very versatile. 19 Italian people just gestured at their radio in their car with their hand. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, another thing is I just, I can't, I don't, well, I don't want to say I can't afford it. I, I don't spend money on really nice cheese. So like anything really expensive that you can just eat chunks of, I'm really into that. Kenny, do you have, we, we've talked about this. You have a favorite cheese. I forgot what it was though. Yeah, I think because I use it so often, probably Parmesan. Uh, yeah, yeah. We had a pretty in-depth cheese talk on one of these shows. Matt, what's your favorite but cheese? We'll just, we'll just say Parmesan for now. Uh, I would I would just go with cheddar on sheer versatility uh, and the fact that I am mildly lactose intolerant, so I don't eat a ton of cheese. So I would never like buy a block of nice cheese for myself. I would more like steal a piece of cheese off of a neighbor's charcuterie board, 
And then Andrea's head explodes because she doesn't have the same number of meat and cheese slices <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Anyways, we can't keep going down this cheese rabbit hole. I have this hole. I have this very neurodivergent tendency. If I make a like a cutting board of cheese and crackers and maybe some salami, I have to have the exact number of cheese slices and exact number of salami pieces to to go together. It just has to be that way. And I'm out here wild, and I'm like, mm, this is a cheese cracker. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to make this one like a Big Mac. It's got three crackers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. I don't do, it doesn't work like that for me. So uh, I have to have the same number of slices of everything. And Matt will just walk by and, like, go to just casually grab one. And I will, like, stab him in the hand with a fork. So that's. Help me. <laughs> All right, this has been the JRA Cheese Show. So is that it? We're we gonna, we gonna shut it. it down? That's all. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to anyone who has purchased goods from our website in the last week. We had, we had a couple. So thanks out there. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along Show. There's some shit coming out of your throat.